Book of Acts chapter 13, guess so glad you're with us. It's okay if you're new to the Bible, it's a great place to be new to the Bible, uh, but you're going to want to see it for yourself, and if you didn't bring a Bible, all you got to do is Google it, grab a device and Google Acts 13 and the initials ESV, English Standard Version, that's the version we use here, Acts 13 ESV, I'll do all the rest, we're going to read an entire chapter, it's 52 verses, it's long, but it is action-packed, we're going to start with verse 1, the translator heading the ESV says, Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, sent off. And as you find your place, just comment. We return to our study of Acts this morning at a most critical moment in the book. There's a divide here. A major shift occurs in the narrative. Careful readers will notice a change in the cast of characters. From mostly, you might even say, leading role, Apostle Peter, to leading role, Apostle Paul. The names of the cities are going to change. So will the political landscape around them, and so will the ethnic makeup of the crowd and the leaders and the churches. In fact, what we're about to read, listen, what we're about to read is the very, very, very first intentional international missions trip. This marks the beginning of what we commonly refer to in the church, the inauguration of missions. Missions and, and missionaries. We're about to read the account of the very first local church that laid it all on the line by sending their very best and their resources and their supplies to reach peoples and places that at the moment were beyond their influence. And were in fact unreached. Unreached. With the news of Jesus the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is history in the making, Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to do my very best to read it to you. Would you look with me? Beginning with verse 1, I'll read and then pray briefly. Verse 1. Now. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mahatma. Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Verse 6, when they had gone to the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, the apostle, right, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. 
Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Pathos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, said, men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Verse 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arms, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. Verse 20, all this took about, yikes, 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Verse 22, and when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God had brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised Verse 24, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26, he continues. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand the utterances of the prophets which were read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning Him. And although, and though they found Him In him, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you The good news that what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Verse 36, for David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. 
Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and by everyone who believes is freed from everything, amen, from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said to them in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Verse 42, sermon's over. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the Word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turned into the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, and that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the Word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. What about Sovereign Grace? 49. And the Word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men in the city stirred up, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Very words of God. Would you, would you pray with me that we might understand them? Father, take everything on this page and press it hard into our souls. Transform us as we consider your ways and believe your promises. Father, I pray you would fill me with your spirit and your spirit would meet your words and would impact us all that none of us would leave the same as we arrived. For your glory, for our joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Dustin says I should get a smaller bottle. Suggested. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be very direct this morning, okay? Because our text is full, full of curiosities, right? <laughs> All kinds of stuff in there that would distract us from what I think is the, I believe is the very point of this passage, the very point of the passage for us today, this morning, Sovereign Grace. We could read it as a history lesson. We could enjoy all the details and thank God for what he did through these first Christians so many years ago, be inspired by them, and then go home and not even consider what it means for you and me in our lives today, sovereign grace. And so here it is. I'm going to shoot you straight. Here it is in a sentence as pointed as I can make it. 
I'm sure I borrowed this from somebody somewhere. Your entire life, okay, your entire life is a missions trip. Your entire life is a mission trip. I don't know what kind of trip you think you're on. <laughs> a trip for the search of what, personal significance and fulfillment, a race to win, win the game, or a game of survival, or maybe you're on a rom-com, I don't know, or a retirement cruise, a long stay in hospice just to heal up and make this out of this place alive, which never works. For those of us who belong to Christ, His church, His people, His disciples our lives are in the end at the very bottom of it all to be understood as one big mission trip if you've been around the church you know what that means one big mission trip it's right here in the last words or the very last words recorded of jesus early on in the book of acts chapter one it's the program for the entire book of acts i would say it's the program for the entire church age listen up here it is but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be, here's your life plan. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and this is what we see reading now in Acts, and to the end of the earth. You wonder what you're supposed to be doing with your life? That's what I'm shooting you straight. Or where your life is headed? You wonder what... What is my life going to be like? What, what's going on with it? What underpins all of your life choices? And I would add God's providence. Have you ever considered this? you got choices, but listen, God's providence. I love John Piper wrote a wonderful book called Providence. Here's how he defines providence. The providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty, his power and his reigning rule, by which he will completely success, be, be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. That, that's providence. I'll read it again. The providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. What is God doing with your life, in your life, for your life, to you, your life? What is the overall goal, the, the plot line of any life that has been joined to the very life of God himself, your meta-narrative mission. Your entire life is a mission trip. And what we have in chapter 13 this morning for us as we're reading it is simply some of the first Christians who, who look like us, look like us, and are doing the very kinds of things that we do and are called to do in one form or another. This missions thing is not something, listen, that the, the church is doing and God is helping us with to accomplish corporately or even globally or even denominationally. And uh, by the way, this morning, or is it whatever, wherever it fell in last yesterday, in the Philippines, a number of the first sovereign grace pastors in the Philippines being ordained. Stuff going on all over the world. Not personally, though. Missions isn't something you do and God supports. Listen, this is where it gets sticky. For our lives, if we are disciples of Christ, our lives are no longer our own in one very big sense. We have no choice in the matter. Don't know what trip you think you're on, but it's been pre-programmed into the system. Our lives are one big missions trip. 
Because that's at the very heart of what God is providentially, strategically, sovereignly bringing to an end. It's the very heart of God as we're about to see. Let's see, and it's all over this chapter. The, the, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is a missionary spirit poured out on us, sending us out, ever, ever, ever pressing outward, expanding the reach of the Father's love and mercy and grace that blazes with the glory most brightly at the cross of Christ that we proclaim your life, my life, must be seen for what it is. This is what is a mission strip. So look with me again. I want to briefly walk through this chapter. There's just so much here, but I want us to look and at our text and apply it to ourselves. Verse 1.1 of 3. First observation, first encouragement, first exhortation. Go where the Spirit sends you, okay? Go where the Spirit sends you. Your life is a mission trip. Go where the Spirit sends you. Verse 1. Now, there were in the church, if you read there, at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius and of Cyrene, Mahanan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, which we know is Paul. And if I can just note, this is a surprisingly diverse group of church leaders and members at this point. Already in Antioch, we're, we're coming right off the clock here. A very unlikely company of individuals joined together. Verse 2, while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now you may be thinking, that's one, that's, that's one impressive prayer meeting. And it was. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but part of me wants to be at prayer meetings like that, right? Now prayer services, right? But the other part of me thinks, yikes. I'm going to skip that meeting and stay home because look what happens. You go in praying and fasting, and fasting is really just depriving yourself, particularly of food. You're fasting so that you would start to hunger, and as you hunger, you'd hunger for God and His purposes. And you, you go into that meeting and say, maybe I won't go to that meeting because they go into that meeting and leave moving to another country. Or sending off their friends. And to be clear, this, this phrase, the Holy Spirit said, doesn't necessarily mean that it was like an audible voice. That'd be really cool. But an audible voice that interrupted a meeting, theoph a theophany, that's what theologians call it. Most likely not. It wasn't that. You know, it was most likely an inner sense of the prompting of the Spirit, perhaps, even in this prayer meeting. We don't have it recorded by one person who then spoke it out loud. And then as everyone waited and considered what this person thought the Lord might be saying to them, prompted by this, but the Spirit is saying to us, we need to send Barnabas and Paul. It was weighed and considered. You read there, they, more fasting and prayer. Like, whoa, what's going on? And then finally, all agreed. And the decision was made. It was time to go. So back to my point, we must go where the Spirit sends us. Go where the Spirit sends you. And to state the obvious, or it may not be so obvious, He is sending you. Yeah. You're a Christian and you're here today. He is sending you. You have, an, you have been sent, whether you realize it or not, if you are a Christian, <laughs> there are no Christians who haven't been sent. 
Even if you've never been in a prayer meeting like that kind of prayer meeting. The heart, listen, the hardest part about being sent is not where should I go? Or how can I know what the Spirit is saying? If you're born again and filled with the Spirit, it's already happening and has happened. No, the hardest part isn't knowing where to go. It's being willing to go. It's being willing to go. And I'll get in a moment or stay. This, does this feel a little mm, dangerous? <laughs> and can you feel it? Just like, just like the prayer meeting in Antioch, you came to church and you may leave going somewhere. And I'm not su- suggesting you're going somewhere and not coming back. But, but listen, I'm telling you that God is sending you. And you might be worried that everyone here is going to leave you if you stay. And that may be true, but to be clear, if you're here in Orange, in California, even if you didn't really have a choice, you're born here, brought here, dragged here, if, if I were a betting man, I'd put my money down on the fact that God sent you here. In His providence. In your choices. And the challenge then is to determine where, where you are going. Not where you're going, but embracing for most of us our staying that he sent us here instead of always being itchy looking out there. Some of us, listen, that, that's what you're reading here. Some, some, of, us, some of us are going to go. Some of us are going to stay. But all of us need, all of us need to settle in our hearts. We have been sent. Our lives are one big missionary trip. And our task, the task at hand isn't so much to determine the, 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 the geographic location or a particular people group, but rather to respond in obedience. Either way, to determine by the grace of God to live our lives as ambassadors of Christ wherever it might be. And let me just say, this, this, is, why, this is why I'm here. <laughs> and I know many of you are as well. This, this is why I'm here in Orange, California. It's not the weather that brought us here. It's not the beaches or the mountains or the cheap housing or the great public transportation. No, it's, it's because of the Spirit of God. As He directs and has motivated our paths and paved a path forward in this world to bring us to this place. to Old Town Orange in Orange County. And I think, I think, listen, I, I, I want to apply this this morning. I think, I think if you get it right, it should feel a little bit like you're trapped. <laughs> Without much of a choice. Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> like I love this town, and I'm a pastor here, which is such a privilege, and I'm among you, and I love every bit of it, and I'm like, but if I ever thought about leaving, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm, trapped you know the same you're married you have kids you got a mortgage you're trapped this is predetermined it's been programmed in no amount of searching on zillow is going to convince me that i can go anywhere i want we go we we go where the spirit leads us and then in the eternal words of the doobie brothers right we love the one we're with. <laughs> we love the one we're with. What, what, and I'm, and I'm, I'm sticking right here. What, what does hearing the Spirit look like for you? Well, praying and fasting is a good start. Communing with God. 
seeking the counsel of your friends and your family and spiritual leaders, your pastors, and asking hard questions about your motives. Patience, faith, a willingness to sacrifice. It's interesting, everyone always feels called to somewhere that's like better lifestyle <laughs> improvement, right? Which is curious, so many people leaving California and you're looking like, I don't think the Midwest is the place with like better bugs and whatever. But we're always looking for something and ask the question, what is it that I'm listening to? The economy, my career trajectory. Listen, and listen, just to say it, don't mistake, we've talked about this before, don't mistake circumstances for God's providence. Sometimes the door is open, but it's a trap, right? You and I in our church, in this, this church, all of us must continue to be determined to go. And if that going means staying because we already came, wherever the Spirit sends us, regardless of our preferences, regardless of our relationships, regardless of our circumstances, sometimes regardless of the personal cost, be it we plant a church in Anaheim, after we planted a church in Santa Ana, it was so sweet to see them. They're like three miles away, but we have to go up to Idlewild every year to see them. Our friends, which are bearing serious fruit, are they not? They did lose to us, but they're bearing serious fruit. <laughs> you got to stay on top of this, okay? Don't want to lose ground. <laughs> Whether it's going to Anaheim or, or in Santa Ana, if you met her at at celebration, she had moved, a woman moved from Ohio to the Santa Ana church to learn Spanish and, and be a part of that church so one day she could go and work with a, a, an orphanage that's associated with Sovereign Grace Church as our denomination in Mexico. Whether, whether some of you are going to pack it up and be teachers in some far off place because that's where the Lord called you or Lord forbid in Los Angeles or something like that. Wherever to the end of the earth, Sovereign Grace Church goes. Point number two, real briefly. We go where the Spirit sends us. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, I don't want to get all caught up in the details. This is exciting, but look with me again at verse four. This is what a mission trip looks like. If you've never been on one, this is a mission trip. If you haven't, if you've gone on a mission trip and this kind of stuff didn't happen, you weren't on a mission trip, you were on a vacation <laughs> with some friends on some other country. But here, here's a mission trip, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, not, not sent out by like, you know, whatever, spreadsheets and, <laughs> and maps and pins on maps. They were spreadsheets. Sent out by the Holy Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They're on a trip. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. That's what they're called to do, to proclaim the Word of God. And they went to the synagogues, is where the Israelites and the Jews were, were congregating each week, all around, outside of Canaan. But verse 6, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician. <laughs> a Jewish prophet, false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, a, a political leader, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. 
He's smart, he says, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Verse 8, but Elamis, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here it comes. They are meeting opposition right, right off the bat. Verse 9, but Saul, who is also called Paul, and here's the key phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. Everything that happens after this, there's the, there's the key phrase. This is why he does what he does, why it bears fruit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said stuff that you didn't think was in the Bible, but there it is. <laughs> we stop right there. If you thought the prayer meeting was off the hook, <laughs> so, is, so is living a life on a missions trip. They cross the sea. They counter a Jewish false prophet who happens to also be a magician <laughs> who immediately begins to disrupt their missionary work, right? And, and you could say here, everyone has an Elamis in their life, and if you don't have one in your life, you're the Elamis. <laughs> Just joking. But, but Saul, who is also called Paul, what's he going to do? But filled with the Holy Spirit addresses the man, preaches the gospel, people are saved. Walks into the synagogue, sits down in the back like some school children or something. They sent a note back to him. Hey, if you've got anything to say, now's the time to say it. And he gets up and preaches a sermon that I am going to skip, but you should read again and enjoy for right there in that sermon he preaches, you might say, the whole counsel of God in like three minutes. First sermon recorded, full sermon recorded in the book of Acts. Filled with the Spirit. Listen, what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Let me just read for you. This is, our, this is our statement of faith. This is what we believe is concisely in one paragraph as you can say it. Listen. When Christ ascended, right? That's chapter 1 of Acts. He poured out the Holy Spirit on His church, right? That's what we read, Acts 1.8. Ushering in a greater experience of God's presence and power among His people. If you're going to be on a missionary trip all your life, you're going to need this. The Spirit, our statement of faith says, transforms hearts by the miracle of regeneration and indwells all believers in abundant new covenant measure. And then listen, it says, the Spirit also desires to fill God's people continually with increasing power for Christian life, godliness, holiness, that we might please Him with our lives, and He fills us with increasing power for witness. This is this is what we need. To be filled with the Spirit, here it is, is to be more fully under His influence. More aware of His presence and more effective in service. It says Paul says to the Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be controlled by wine, but be what? Controlled by the Spirit. Be drunk in the Spirit. Let the Spirit influence and control you. Our statement of faith continues. All Christians therefore must continually seek to be filled with the Spirit by living and praying in such a way that invites the Spirit's work in us. So we can be sent 
and then arrive, and then what? Try to do it ourselves? What we saw Paul do there in Acts chapter 13 wasn't Paul. Something else was at work. He had been filled with the Spirit and was being filled with the Spirit. Our statement of faith says, in such a way that invites the Spirit's work among us, actively longing for God. That's what we heard at Celebration this last weekend. Actively longing for God to accomplish His gracious purposes, His providence, working towards His goals and His end, right? In and through us. The filling of the Spirit brings to God's people deeper knowledge of Christ, and we want that. An increased desire for holiness, we want that. A stronger commitment to unity and love, we want that. And a greater fruitfulness in ministry. Mm, Your life is one big missions trip. That's exactly what we heard last weekend, is it not? Just last Sunday. Thirsting for God, His power, His presence, His life, His gifts, manifestations of Himself bursting through us, His people. Listen, the only way to live, if you're a Christian, the only way to live, to live as God has called you and me as a missionary, every place He sends us is by the power of God through the presence of God in us, His Spirit increasingly greater measures. Pray. Go where go wherever the Spirit sends you. And oh, you're going to meet in your pastors and uh, at least in your pastors. Well, maybe not even all of us if you go somewhere and we're sad to see you go, but you're going to meet in us pastors who want to equip you and send you. So pray. Pray that God would send you and that he would fill you. In humility, may we have dependence on him and not grit and determination, not pragmatics. We won't accomplish our mission. And listen, most of us, like I said, I'm a betting man. If I were a betting man, I'd lay my money down on that. Most of us are called to be right here. He sent us here to Orange County. There are a lot of people here who don't know what we know about the Savior and His grace. Listen, we're not even going to reach Old Town Orange. We're, we're definitely not going to say in our dream of ours to plant a church up in the Anaheim area. We're not going to get there by plotting it out on maps. And we've plotted it out on maps. Next to Disney, next to the beach, I got the Polynesian Islands. We're reaching the lost. No, (laughs) not with maps or spreadsheets or financial committees (laughs) or rules and policies. No amount of us doing this and doing that and don't do that and is going to produce the kinds of things that we're watching this church do. Not that it all has to be spectacular. Even in the ordinary day-to-day life of, we'll say, a mother with young children who's just at the park and bumps into somebody or a student who's just sitting in a boring classroom all day long but is filled with and surrounded by lost people or a young couple that's adulting for the first time here in <laughs> All of us, we must 
seek to be filled with the Spirit of God, which is fundamentally a spirit of missions, a missionary spirit. Last observation. It's the best of all. Point number three. We must bear the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me. Skip all the way down to verse 48. We want to go where He calls us to go, and we want to be filled with the Spirit as we go, that we might be empowered for fruitfulness, just strengthening us so that we might, we might serve Him. Finally, to seek to be bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Look with me, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And that's, if you stop right there, that is the clearest statement of God's sovereignty and His sovereign grace, as we named this church, sovereignty of salvation. As many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. God's at work here. He's saving people. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. This is exciting. But... The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. That'd be like for us here, like all of a sudden the city council hates Sovereign Grace Church of Orange. And all the nonprofit leaders are like, these guys got to get out of here. We don't want to partner with them at all. And they're closing the doors and the women's club says, you're out of here and we can't find a school to meet with and we don't have the money for a building. We're trying to figure out what to do. We're trying to get permits in, our, in the parks to meet on a Sunday morning and we're just struggling. That's what's happening here. They're like, get out of here. We oppose you. That would be pretty discouraging, would it not? Verse 50, But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. What do they do? Here's the fruit of the Spirit. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples say all that believed in particular Paul and Barnabas and, and his company of missionaries were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. There was, there was something in them that didn't quite match up to what they had been experiencing. They had followed the Spirit. They had gone. They were filled with the Spirit and they were bearing fruit. They meet opposition and they rejoice. They rejoice. They're filled with joy despite the fact that everything is going sideways. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I think you can crunch that right up together and say they were rejoicing because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It says if there's, only, there's actually only one place in the New Testament that records Jesus rejoicing. It says He rejoices in the Spirit. There's this connection there between the Spirit and joy. Disciples were filled with joy. He says, Jesus, recorded in John, says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. As you're filled with the Spirit, as you go and you minister and you are witnesses, you're filled with His joy which is a joy in what the Father has planned and the Son is doing, and now the Spirit is accomplishing. Listen, last statement. If you're going to, your life is going to, entire life is going to be one big missions trip, joy 
and all the other fruit of the Spirit, which we're about to get to Galatians, and we're going to hit that text. All the, the, the manifestations of what, what, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit is fruit, right? These, these kinds of fruit, these fruitfulness. Joy is not a luxury on the mission field. It's not a luxury here at Sovereign Grace Church of Orange in our mission field. Joy is not a luxury. As Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Your strength comes from the indwelling power of the Spirit producing joy and peace even when your circumstances don't line up. Even when you're living your life the way you think the Lord and believe the way the Lord has called you to go and to live and to do and it's not working out the way you think it should. If you're filled with the Spirit and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, what does it look like? <laughs> Perhaps the most predominant description of the disciples, other than being boneheads at times, <laughs> is joyful. Joyful. Because we have been transformed. The Spirit, as it's filled us, has changed us. We left wherever it is you came from. I would say for myself, I left San Diego, actually, if I back it up more, I left Baltimore a different guy. God sent. He continues to fill. And I, I'm not that same guy. I'm different. I'm transformed. And I, I hope, I hope for me, for you, as we see there, regardless of if we get kicked out of Old Town Orange or not, we will rejoice with the Gentiles of whom we're counted. We'll rejoice with the disciples. Why? Because as we sung this morning, even on our missions trip, we can be confident He has already accomplished all that He needs to accomplish. Everything, as we sang this morning, is finished. And we're now just walking it out for him, for his glory, and for the joy of all the nations as they meet this Jesus. So would you pray with me that this would be us? Join me in prayer. Father, Father, thank you for the work of your Spirit in our life, for this empowering presence, this comforting presence, this, this life-directing presence. Oh Lord, I pray that you would you would call us to go and to stay that we've already went and came, Father, and that we would, we would embrace that and we would respond with obedience and faith. And Father, I pray as well that for the one who is scratching their head and tossing and turning on their pillow at night, Father, I pray that they would, they would meet your comforting, directing, spirit-strengthening words and you would turn their heart and lead them to where you're sending them or staying fill them with your spirit that their trip would be joyful oh we sing and pray in jesus name Amen.